female folk singer is dead after she was attacked by a pair of coyotes. What is the monkey doing? Tell me what's going on. He ripped her face off! We actually have a trainer in the water with one of our whales. If I show weakness, if I retreat, I may be hurt, I may be killed. Baby Azaria Chamberlain was taken by a dingo back in 1980. Oh, g'day everybody. Uh, welcome back to Man Eaters. Oh, fuck, look out, it's a fucking bunyip. Bloody hell. Crikey, watch out, it's a... Hello everybody, welcome back to Man, it is the only true crime podcast on the entire internet where all the killers are real animals, whether it's biting, scratchings, maulings or clawings, uh, we're here to talk about it. My name is Papa Bear Jimby, the most smelly with the most belly, the thickness with the sickness, uh, that's me. I'm still sick, can you believe it? My voice is, it's absolutely fucked, um, but we're here. I, I don't want to put off recording an episode, because if we keep doing one a week, we're going to hit that 80 episode mark by the end of the year and that was like the whole that was the goal guys that was the whole point of this if i can't do 80 episodes by the end of 2023 what has all of this been for it's been for naught it's been for nothing uh i don't know if you could tell from the uh broad caricature-esque australian accent at the beginning but today we're we're going down under we're getting out in the outback, uh, and we're talking uh, about Australian animals today, or more specifically, <clears throat> and more accurately, we're talking Australian cryptids. That's right, it is time for another episode of Killer Cryptids. It's been quite a while. I think the last time we did one of these was when we talked about the Kraken, which was yonks ago. Um, and yet, like I said, it's an Australian-themed episode, so I'm going to get really into my Aussie vocab and my vernacular. G'day, mate. Fair dinkum. And it's not racist to do this because I'm white. <laughs> I'm a white Australian. I can do whatever I want, uh, including voting yes on the referendum, which I did today. I voted early. Um, and I, I don't know if you're sitting there thinking, oh, 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 good. Another another podcast host and getting all political and riding my cock for wanting to to not help alleviate the, the, the pains of the indigenous people. Uh, yeah, no, I told you guys a few episodes ago that, uh, it, you know, it is rare. I don't like talking politics. We're already divided enough. Uh, but this was one issue I felt very strongly on and I went out and voted yesterday and I urge you to do as well if you're an Australian citizen, that is, if you're not an Australian citizen, keep sitting there doing nothing. It's not, it, you know what? You don't have to do anything either. If you're an American, you don't need to feel any responsibility towards Indigenous Australians and uh, you're bringing us all together because you had nothing to do with that. You have your own racial stuff to deal with, I'm pretty sure. I was, You guys had slaves. I learned about that today. That's wild. You had a whole slavery. That's, oh. That's pretty bad, guys. We weren't that bad. We were just pretty... I think genocidal might be the best word. Uh, but, you know, I'm not going to give a history lesson. Uh, no, I obviously didn't learn today that fucking slavery existed. I learned that weeks ago. Uh, anyway, we're, we're getting off track. Today we're talking killer cryptids. We're talking Australian cryptids. Uh, not a country you would really think of when you think of cryptids. Um and I don't know if it's because Australians, we don't like to talk very much, where, apart from myself and all the other Australians who have podcasts, Australians are quite laid back. We don't want to draw attention to ourselves. Did you even know that there were cryptids living in Australia? 
Well, I did, but I live here, so that that's fair. So we're going to talk about a few of them uh, today. Uh, but first, first and foremost, <coughs> going to clear my throat, and uh, <laughs> let's get uh, this. Maybe this is either the worst intro or the best intro to the show I've done in a while, and I can't tell. I had some cough syrup before, and I'm thinking I might have got a little bit high. <laughs> No, I, I'm, uh, that's, that's a lie. I didn't even have cough syrup. I lie to you guys so frequently. Did you know that? Constantly tell you lies. <laughs> that's a lie in itself. I'm always very honest with you. Okay. What are we doing? Killer cryptids, Australian cryptids. Oh, let's just jump right into it. Sit back, relax, put, hey, Ga- Gary, put it away. Put, put your cock away. Thank you, Gary. And let's get on with the episode. Australia is a land well known for its vast landscapes and unique wildlife. However, it's also a country that is steeped in folklore and mystery. And among the intriguing aspects of Australian mythology are its cryptids, creatures whose existence is often reported anecdotally but lack scientific evidence. These enigmatic creatures have fascinated locals and intrigued researchers for centuries, adding an aura of mystery to the continent. Today we're going to start off with one of the most well-known cryptids, if not the most well-known, the Yowie. And a little bit of trivia for you uh, non-Australians, the Yowie, if you ask most Australians, what is a Yowie, uh, they'll answer, it's a it's delicious, uh, because a Yowie is also like a chocolate that you can buy in, in, uh, in uh, Australia. It's, um, you, I think you guys have Kinder Surprises in, well, there's, it's like a, a Kinder Surprise egg where you eat the little chocolate and there's a little toy inside, and uh, that's what a Yowie is. But a Yowie is also a mythical creature and one of Australia's most well-known cryptids. The Yowie is often compared to the North American Bigfoot or the Himalayan Yeti. The Yowie, however, is described as a large, ape-like, humanoid creature that inhabits the dense forests and rugged mountains of eastern Australia, including Victoria, Queensland, and New South Wales. That's where I'm from. The Yowie legend is primarily popular in Australian folklore, particularly among indigenous Australian communities and European settlers. Now, descriptions of the Yowie vary, but common features include a large, hairy body, a strong and pungent odour, <laughs> I think they're talking about me, and a height ranging from 6 to 12 feet tall. Witnesses often report its eyes to be deeply set and its feet to be larger than a human's, It is usually depicted as a fearsome, elusive creature, inspiring both curiosity and fear among those who see it and hear it. Now, there have been numerous reported sightings of the Yowie throughout the 19th, 20th, and 21st centuries. Many of these sightings come from remote or densely forested areas in eastern Australia, where witnesses claim to have encountered the creature. Some reports include detailed accounts of Yowies crossing roads, leaving large footprints, or making eerie vocalizations. The Yowie legend has parallels with indigenous Australian beliefs about ancestral spirits and mythical beings that inhabit the land. Indigenous stories often feature similar hairy human-like creatures adding depth to the, to the Yowie lore. 
Now, while Yowie sightings and reports continue to circulate, there is no conclusive scientific evidence to prove the existence of these creatures. Skeptics argue that most Yowie encounters can be attributed to misidentifications of known animals, hoaxes, or exaggerations. Despite the lack of concrete evidence, the Yowie remains a prominent figure in Australian cryptozoology and cultural mythology. The Yowie has made its way into popular culture, featuring in books, movies, and television shows. It's often depicted as a mysterious and terrifying creature, adding to its mystique and capturing the imagination of audiences beyond Australia's shores. And as I mentioned earlier, they're a delicious little snack for your kids. In summary, the Yowie is a cryptid that continues to capture the fascination of many Australians and cryptozoology enthusiasts worldwide. And while its existence remains unproven, the legend of the Yowie adds a touch of mystery and intrigue to Australia's rich folklore and traditions. Now, another intriguing cryptid is the Bunyip, a creature from Australian mythology that's said to inhabit swamps, rivers, and billabongs. The Bunyip is a mythical creature from Aboriginal Australian mythology deeply ingrained into our country's folklore. The term Bunyip is believed to have originated from the Wemba Wemba or Wergaria languages of Indigenous Australians, although interpretations and depictions of the Bunyip vary wildly across different Aboriginal countries. And that's one thing to note also if you're not from Australia, um, before colonisation and settlement of Europeans here, um, the what you think of as Australia was was hundreds of Aboriginal countries. Uh, and you can look up a great Indigenous country map and see where where you are. I'm currently living on Awabakal land, um, but I also work in Waramai land as well occasionally. Um, yeah, so I encourage you to look that map up because it just gives you a sense of how different the cultures between these Indigenous groups were. Now, descriptions of the Bunyip vary, but common features include a creature with a mix of animal characteristics. It's often depicted as having a horse-like face, tusks or long teeth, flippers, a tail, and a body covered in fur, feathers, or scales. Its appearance varies significantly depending on the specific Aboriginal community's beliefs. Now, it does have quite a cultural significance to Indigenous Australians. In Aboriginal mythology, the Bunyip is seen as a powerful and mysterious being associated with water sources such as swamps, rivers, and billabongs. Different Indigenous communities have their own interpretations and stories about the Bunyip, with some viewing it as a protective spirit of waterholes and others as a dangerous entity to be feared. European settlers in Australia started hearing stories about the Bunyip from Aboriginal Australians in the early 19th century. These stories, combined with the settlers' encounters with unfamiliar Australian fauna, contributed to the Bunyip's legend gaining prominence in European folklore. And that's a really good point, because if you're a a European uh, colonizer in Australia, and you've just moved over, and someone tells you about an animal like this, without context, you'd be like, oh, that sounds bullshit, that doesn't sound real. But then you think of all the other weird animals that live in Australia, that live nowhere else, that they hadn't seen before, and so they go through the bush and they start seeing kangaroos, they start seeing these, like, you know, man-sized animals bounding around on two legs, or they go to the creek and they see a platypus, which is an animal with a duck's bill, you know, uh, stitched onto a a badger's, uh, a beaver's tail with venom in its legs, and and it lays eggs. When When you take into consideration that those are actual animals that do exist here, um, you know, a bunyip doesn't seem that crazy, does it? 
Early European depictions often depicted the bunyip as a fearsome and monstrous creature lurking in bodies of water. And the bunyip is often classified as a cryptid, a creature whose existence is reported based on folklore and anecdotal evidence. Over the years, there have been alleged sightings of the bunyip by European settlers, but these accounts lack scientific credibility. Some sightings were likely misidentifications of known animals, whilst others might have been hoaxes or exaggerations. The bunyip has become a popular figure in Australian uh, popular culture and has been featured in books, art, children's stories and tourism promotions, further solidifying its place in the country's cultural landscape. In summary, the bunyip is a fascinating and enigmatic creature deeply rooted in Australian Aboriginal mythology. And while it remains a significant part of Australian folklore and cultural heritage, there is no scientific evidence to support the existence of the bunyip as a real, tangible animal species. Now the next cryptid we're going to talk about is unlike any cryptid we've talked about before because it's not really necessarily an animal. Uh, we're talking about min-min lights. And I only know this because of a, 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 a John Williamson song I used to listen to when I was a kid where he says, I'm not afraid of min-min lights. And I always wondered what that was, so I, I looked it up. And uh, it turns out the min-min lights, also simply known as min-min, are mysterious and unexplained lights that have been reported in various parts of Australia, particularly in the outback regions. These lights are named after the small settlement of min-min in western Queensland, where some of the earliest and most famous reports originated. Min-min lights are described as bright, glowing orbs or distant lights that appear in the night sky, often hovering or following observers at a distance. Witnesses have reported the lights as white, yellow, or sometimes even multicolored. I think during Pride Week they go rainbow. Uh, they are often just... I'm proud of that joke, and I stand by it. They are typically seen in remote, sparsely populated areas and are often observed at a distance, making them difficult to approach or study closely. The Min-Min lights are deeply ingrained in Australian folklore and Aboriginal mythology. Indigenous Australian communities have their own interpretations of these lights, often attributing them to the spirits of ancestors or other supernatural entities. According to Aboriginal beliefs, looking directly at the lights or trying to approach them can bring misfortune or harm. Now, several scientific explanations have been proposed to account for min-min lights. One common explanation is that they are caused by bioluminescent gases emitted by decaying organic matter. Another theory suggests that the lights are a form of mirage or optical illusion caused by temperature inversions and light refractions in the outback in its unique atmospheric conditions. Additionally, some researchers speculate the lights could be reflections from car headlights or campfires in the distance. The Min-Min lights have become an integral part of Australian culture and are often mentioned in various forms of media, including books, movies and documentaries. They continue to capture the public's imagination, and stories of encounters with these mysterious lights are widely shared. In summary, the Min-Min lights remain an enigma, with various cultural, mythological and scientific explanations offered to explain their existence. Despite ongoing research and speculation, the true nature and origin of Min-Min lights remains unsolved, adding to the allure and mystery of this phenomenon. Now, the next cryptid we're going to talk about is very unique uh, in the sense that it's kind of like the opposite of the Kraken. Remember how we, when we talked about the Kraken, we said it's unique because it was an animal that 
for a long time we believed to just be a, a myth, uh, a mythical creature or a cryptid. Uh, and then, you know, as history went on, it became clear, oh, no, this actually, it's an actual animal. It's the giant squid. It has a, you know, a, a tangible animal that's based off. The thylacine is kind of the opposite because this was an animal, a documented animal that we all knew, uh, but it went extinct. However, the cryptid part of this is that many people believe that the thylacine or the Tasmanian tiger still exists and it is hiding in remote areas of Tasmania, but also potentially mainland Australia. So yeah, the thylacine or the Tasmanian tiger was a carnivorous marsupial native to Tasmania in Australia, also New Guinea. Now, it's not a tiger, despite its name at all, uh, but it earned its name due to its striped back, which does resemble that of a tiger. The thylacine was the largest known carnivorous marsupial of modern times and was the last member of the Thylacidae family. Thylacidae. I got it right. Now, the thylacine had a slim, dog-like body, a stiff tail, and distinct dark stripes across its back and tail, which led to its tiger-like appearance. It had a head resembling that of a dog and carried its young in a pouch, typical of marsupials. Thylacines were about the size of a medium to large dog, with adults measuring approximately 100 to 130 centimetres in length, excluding the tail, and standing in about 58 centimetres tall. Thylacines were nocturnal hunters, preying primarily on small animals such as wallabies, kangaroos, and birds. They were well known for their shy and elusive nature. Historically, they were widespread across Tasmania and the Australian mainland, but by the time of the European settlement, their numbers had significantly declined. Classic. Good on us. Go white people. Fucking up everything. (laughs) By the early 20th century, they were considered to be extinct on the mainland. Now, the thylacine's decline and eventual extinction can be attributed to various factors, including habitat loss, disease, competition with introduced species such as dogs, and extensive hunting by European settlers who viewed them as threats to livestock. The last known thylacine in the wild was shot in Tasmania in 1930. I fucking hate that. It was the last one and we shot it. God damn it. (laughs) <laughs> the species was declared extinct in the wild in 1936, and the last known individual named Benjamin died in captivity at the Hobart Zoo in Tasmania on September 7th, 1936. And I'm pretty sure that that uh, specimen, Benjamin, is still located in a museum, I believe in Canberra, or is it Melbourne? I can't remember, but I do know that I've seen it. When I was a kid, um, we went and saw it. It's, it's taxidermied, and you can still see it. It's beautiful. And I believe there's a thylacine stuffed at, I, I want to say, Sydney Museum as well, or Australian Museum in Sydney. Uh, I'm pretty sure I saw that recently as well. So despite their official extinction, there have been numerous claimed sightings of thylacines throughout the years, sparking interest in cryptozoological circles. However, these reports have not been substantiated by credible evidence, and most scientists consider the thylacine to be extinct. The thylacine remains an iconic symbol of Tasmania and an important reminder of the impact of human activities on biodiversity. Efforts to find evidence of its continued existence do continue, although none have been successful as of September 2021. The bush panther, that's a similar 
kind of cryptid, and I have talked about them before. Reports of large black panther-like creatures, often referred to as Australian panthers or big cats, roaming the wild in various regions of Australia, have persisted for decades. Witnesses claim to have seen large feline animals resembling panthers or cougars, despite these species not being native to Australia. And in the area I live about 10 years ago, or probably 20 years ago now, geez, at this point, uh, there were rumours of a bush panther or a, you know, a New South Wales big cat living in the bush near where my house was. And it was quite a, yeah interesting time to be alive. Everyone was very excited by that. Nothing came about it, but still interesting. So numerous sightings of these mysterious creatures have been reported across different parts of Australia, including New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland, and South Australia. Witnesses describe them as large, black, or dark-coloured cats. I think they're, called, they're supposed to be called cats of colour. I think that's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> Boom! Another joke. Nailed it. <laughs> they say this isn't an edutainment podcast. There's some edu and entertainment here. Don't worry. Uh, witnesses describe them as large, black, or dark-coloured cats, similar in appearance to panthers or cougars. Some accounts even suggest these animals are responsible for livestock attacks, although concrete evidence linking these attacks to big cats remains scarce. So several theories attempt to explain the phenomenon of Australian panthers. The first theory is that of escaped pets. Some believe these big cats might be exotic pets that lived in captivity or were released into the wild. However, there is little evidence to support this theory. Another uh, attempted explanation is that of the feral cat. Now, Australia is home to a huge population of feral cats, which are domestic cats that have been returned to the wild. Some large feral cats may be misidentified as panther-like creatures, leading to reported sightings. Uh, and yeah, feral cats in Australia are a big problem. There's, they, they fucking suck. Keep your cats inside, because they kill native birds. They seem specifically interested in killing native birds. Like, they don't seem to kill the Indian miners, the really fucking annoying birds that live here and shit everywhere, but they will kill the beautiful rainbow lorikeet or rosella or cockatoo. So, uh, yeah, I have strong feelings about feral cats. But uh, domestic cats, like the one I have sitting, looking at me with deadly intent right now. Hey, how you doing, buddy? Yeah, she fucking hates me. I, I love cats. <laughs> Uh, the other option, of course, is that these are hoaxes or misidentifications. Some sightings might be hoaxes or misidentifications of other well-known animals, such as domestic dogs or other native wildlife, including quolls or possums. Now, there is a lack of scientific evidence here. Despite numerous reports of anecdotal evidence, there's no conclusive scientific proof supporting the existence of any big cat like panther or cougar in the Australian wilderness. The absence of verified physical evidence such as carcasses remains a significant challenge in confirming the existence of these creatures. And I was just thinking, you know, like, the Australian bush and outback is actually kind of a perfect place for a cat to live. P plenty of prey, no other predators, little competition. Uh, but yeah, the, the fact that no one's ever found, like, a panther corpse while they've gone on a bushwalk, that's interesting. Unless the government is hiding them all, guys. Did you think of that? Probably not, because it's stupid. Okay. The Australian panther phenomenon has become part of the Australian cryptozoology, uh, generating interest in enthusiasts and researchers. These stories have influenced local folklore and have become a topic of discussion in the media. 
In summary, while there are many reports and stories about large black panther-like creatures in Australia, there's no solid scientific evidence to confirm their existence. The mystery surrounding Australian panthers remains unsolved, making them a topic of intrigue and speculation within the realm of cryptozoology. And my favourite black panther, of course, Chadwick Boseman. R.I.P. King. Wakanda forever! Okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm so tired. Okay, the next creature we're going to talk about is the Wowie. And I didn't know about this one. It's like the Yowie, but it's more wow. It's the Wowie. The Wowie is a cryptid creature from Aboriginal Australian mythology, specifically originating from the folklore of the Yowie, which is Australia's version of the Bigfoot. Now, while the Yowie is a well-known creature, the Wowie is a variation of the Yowie folk legend that is specific to certain Aboriginal communities. Descriptions of the Wowie vary, but it is generally depicted as a large, hairy, ape-like creature similar to the Yowie. And like the Yowie, the Wowie is often described as a nocturnal, elusive creature, making it difficult to spot. The Wowie is primarily a part of Aboriginal Australian folklore, with specific stories and beliefs varying amongst different Indigenous groups. Some Aboriginal uh, communities believe the Wowie is a spirit or guardian of the land, whilst others view it as a creature to be feared and respected. Unlike many cryptids and other cultures, encounters with the Wowie are often associated with specific places or times, often deep in the wilderness. It's obviously important to know that while the Wowie is not a cryptid in the same sense as a creature like Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster, uh, while it is considered a mysterious and legendary being of Aboriginal mythology, it does not have the same level of attention or investigation as some other cryptids. The Wowie remains firmly rooted in Aboriginal culture and stories. And the Wowie, like other mysterious creatures in Aboriginal folklore, it holds significant cultural significance within Indigenous communities. These stories are passed down through generations and are essential parts of the cultural heritage of Aboriginal Australians. They reflect the deep connection between Indigenous people and their land, as well as their rich oral traditions. As with many cryptids and mythological creatures, beliefs and interpretations of the Wowie vary among different Aboriginal communities, making it a complex and multifaceted part of Australian folklore. It is possible that the myth of the Wowie was inspired by real-life encounters with ancient Australian megafauna, such as Meg <laughs> Megalania, which Megalania is like a big old lizard. I looked that up. Now, our next creature is terrifying, despite its very silly name. Our next cryptid is the Booey Monster. Do you know why? Because he jumps out of the trees and he goes, Boo! Uh, no, it's not because of that. The Booey Monster, also known as the uh, Boolaroo or the Boolarong, is a cryptid creature from Australian folklore. It is said to inhabit the areas around Mount Boolaroo and Mount Jumrum in Queensland, Australia. And yeah, you're, you're right. I know you're thinking, you have some funny names in Australia, but I'm going to just stop you right there. Watch yourself. Because I have a cousin from Mount Jumrum and I have a niece from Mount Bulleroo. I don't really. But yeah, they're nice names. They're all indigenous names. Don't be mean. Um, the creature's name, Bowie, is derived from the nearby Mount Bulleroo. Descriptions of the Bowie monster vary, uh, but it is often depicted as a large, hairy, ape-like creature similar to other cryptids like Bigfoot or the Yowie. 
Witnesses have reported seeing a tall, upright creature covered in fur with a distinct smell and a loud, eerie cry. Oh no, that's me after I get in a fight with my girlfriend. I just cover, I, I go, I stink and I go, with my eerie cry. Um, there have been occasional reports of sightings and encounters with the buoy monster, particularly in the dense forest and remote areas surrounding Mount Bularu and Mount Jumrum. Witnesses claim to have seen the creature from a distance, describing it as a large, mysterious figure moving through the trees. The buoy monster is part of the rich tapestry of Australian cryptozoology and folklore. Indigenous Australian communities in the region have their own stories and interpretations of the creature, often passed down through generations as part of their oral traditions. Like many cryptids, the buoy monster's existence is shrouded in mystery, and its sightings remain unverified by scientific evidence. Pfft, scientists, fucking nerds. It's important to note that while the buoy monster is a fascinating aspect of Australian folklore, there is no concrete scientific evidence supporting the existence of this creature. As with many cryptids, reports of the buoy monster are based on anecdotal accounts and local legends, making it a subject of intrigue and speculation within the realm of cryptozoology. Now, there's obviously one kind of cryptid that we haven't talked about today, but I'm sure you're all waiting for it. It's, of course, the most deadly of all Australian animals, and many people believe in its existence, including myself. Uh, it is not uh, a joke that Australians play on tourists. Uh, I am, of course, talking... I can barely say it out loud because it's so fucking scary. Australia is also home to the drop bear. A cryptid that is more of an urban legend used to scare tourists. Oh, it says that in the thing. Never mind. According to myth, drop bears are large predatory koalas that drop down from trees on the unsuspecting victims below. While this creature is not taken seriously by scientists, it showcases the country's sense of humor and willingness to playfully engage with its cryptid lore. That's right. If you've ever come to Australia and you have an Australian friend, uh, they would have said, oh, yeah, yeah, just watch out for the drop bears, yeah? You're probably sitting there going like, oh, I'll be really careful of dangerous snakes and spiders and I won't go swimming because there's jellyfish and sharks. And then your Australian mate goes, hey, no, don't, hey. Don't worry about that. Be what you ain't gonna be worried about. Drop bears. <laughs> That's how we all sound, by the way. I'm putting on a voice right now so that you can understand me. But when I'm just talking to other Aussies, I go like this. Drop bears. <laughs> You think I'm joking? That's actually how we sound. There are a couple more cryptids. Of course, the Queensland tiger, also known as the Yari, which is described as a large cat-like creature with a series of stripes on its back. Sightings of this mysterious animal have been reported for over a century, leading to various speculations about its identity, ranging from a surviving population of thylacines to an undiscovered species of big cat. And lastly... The Megalong Valley Glimmer Man is a cryptid that deviates from the typical descriptions of hairy hominids. This entity is said to be a tall, luminous figure with glowing eyes, often reported in the Megalong Valley region. And while encounters with this cryptid are rare and shrouded in ambiguity, it adds an eerie element to Australia's cryptid tapestry. So guys, in conclusion... Australian cryptids represent a fascinating blend of Aboriginal mythology, colonial folklore, and modern urban legends. While scientific evidence for these creatures remains elusive, their presence in the cultural landscape continues to captivate the imaginations of locals and enthusiasts alike, reminding us of the enduring power and mystery 
and the wonder of human experience. And that's it, guys. That's our little little series on Australian cryptids. I hope you liked that. I did. I, there were a few of those I'd never heard of before. Obviously, the drop bear is the most deadly thing in Australia, but uh, all those other things sound pretty terrifying. Uh, let's take a little break now, guys. Let's hear some ads. Uh, and if you do hear an ad, remember, buy it, whatever it is, even if it's something you don't want. Uh, please be an active capitalist. It's really important. Uh, yeah, we'll take a break, go and do a wee, and we'll be back with the next segment. Farewell for now. And we're back. Did you buy anything? Did you listen to the ads? For God's sake, please tell me you did. Um, or, or don't. I don't know. Like, I guess I'm not in this for the money, but I will tell you that uh, we are apparently getting ads on the show now. I've, I've heard it a few times and uh, I looked up my little Podbean analytics. Your boy is earned. $2.60. So, you know, that's, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I don't know how to retrieve it. I don't know if they'll give it to me. Um, I'm not a United States citizen. I do not have a tax return form. I don't know how any of that part of the business works, but, uh, Hey, when I get that $2.60, you know what I'm going to buy? I'm going to buy a little chocolate. Yowie. Okay. Let's move on to the next segment, which is of course the scratch of the day. Scratch of the day. Of course, guys, it's the segment where we look at animal attacks in the news and we talk about them. We pull up some articles. We read them live. I learn with you what's happened. It's it's a bonding experience, okay? And our first one comes from Nine News Australia. That's where I'm from. A bear attack or bear attacks are on the rise in Japan as a food shortage brings animals out of the woods. This is written by Mark. Oh, God. Good name. Mark Sonokonoko. Kono, Konoko? Yeah, Konoko. Suno Konoko. Great. Uh, all right, here we go. A shortage of acorns is forcing hungry bears out of the woods in Japan, and it's leading to dozens of attacks on humans. Multiple people were mauled by bears two days ago at the Akita Prefecture, a mountainous area in the country's north, including four elderly men and women ambushed in a quiet neighborhood of the prefectural capital, Akita City. The four people, aged in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, were attacked and taken to a hospital, but local media reports suggested that none of them had serious injuries. Two other attacks happened the same day, one involving a 84-year-old man and the other a woman who was 79. Both sustained non-life-threatening injuries. Bear-caused deaths and injuries are on the rise, according to the Japan Times, with the number of cases in April and July hitting a record of 54 attacks. Over the same period, bears were spotted 7,967 times, the second highest number in the past five years. Experts are warning that bears are moving into human settlements more often because of a poor harvest of acorns, a staple of the bear's diet. Last week, three bears snuck into a, t- a tatami mat factory in northern Japan and were holed up inside for nearly a day before being captured and killed. A patrolling official spotted the bears, believing to be a parent and two cubs, as they walked into a factory in the Akita Prefecture. The factory owner said that he saw the bear walking outside, but never thought they would venture inside. Local hunters used firecrackers to try and scare the intruders out without success. 
They later set up cages at the factory entrance and waited overnight. The next morning, the bears were trapped, and a television and television footage showed the cages being taken off the uh, taken out of the factory and placed onto a pickup truck with a tra- with a crane. Media reports say the bears were later killed for fear they would return to the town and pose a threat if released. Oh, damn. Akita has a logged record of 30 cases of bear attacks on people in, 20, in 2023, increasingly in residential areas. Experts think the bears have wandered out of forests looking for food because of scarcity of acorns, their staple food. Officials warned residents not to leave garbage outside and to take other precautions. In May, a fisherman went missing while out on a lake in Hokkaido. A search party found a bear with waders in its mouth and a partial, hu- partial human remains nearby. DNA testing confirmed that the remains belonged to the missing man. Akita's governor, uh, Norisa Satake, was that right? I sounded like I got it right then. Was uh, wants the central government to revise wildlife protection laws to allow for the hunting for the use of hunting guns in residential areas. Otherwise, we cannot eliminate bears in residential areas, Satake said. The problem is growing all around the country. So that's pretty crazy. Um, wow. All right. You know what that made me think of? Where it was like the bear attacked like the eighty-four-year-old. And a 79-year-old. Wouldn't it be really funny if those two were, like, having an affair, like an illicit love affair, cheating on their spouses, and this is how everyone found out, because it was in the news. <laughs> they got attacked by a bear. It would be a morally justified thing, I guess, to happen uh, if you guys are having an affair, is to get attacked by a bear. I don't know. Free love, you know, whatever. Uh, ethical non-monogamy is great, fine. But, like, don't be naughty uh, or a bear eats you. I think that's the moral of the story. Yeah. Don't be naughty in Japan or a bear eats you, okay? <laughs> Next story from USA Today. No, I'm not signing up to your subscription, USA Today. Fuck right off. Okay, um... Ooh, Bobcat on the loose. Animal attacks two children and two dogs in Georgia in separate incidents. Okay, I'm going to hope these kids are still alive, but fair warning, this story may include the death of some children. You can skip forward if you if you want. I, that's, yes. Officials in northeast Georgia are warning the public to be on alert after a Bobcat attacked two children and two dogs in four separate incidents. What? That's crazy. I thought it was all together. I thought the two children and the two dogs were hanging out. Oglethorpe. Oglethorpe? I don't know where Oglethorpe is. (laughs) And I don't want to know. Okay, I'm sorry. Oglethorpe County Fire and Rescue spokesperson Cody Gibbs told USA Today crews received reports of an aggressive bobcat on Friday at 6.30 p.m. in the area of Winterville. Winterville, a rural community just outside Athens. Ooh, I know this might be Ohio because there is an Athens in Ohio. And I know that because there's a play called She Kills Monsters, all about, uh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons uh, that I directed last year. And it was set in Athens, Ohio. So that's my little prediction. Uh, Anyway, sorry, weird sidebar there. The children, a boy and a girl, were playing outside when they were attacked in separate incidents at homes less than a quarter mile away from each other. That's weird. Uh, The attacks, Gibbs said, took place within 15 to 30 minutes of each other. uh, The girl suffered non-life-threatening injuries, including scratches and a single bite in the attack, Gibbs said, and first responders transported her to a local hospital for treatment. 
Oglethorpe County EMS Director Jason Lewis told USA Today the boy suffered non-life-threatening injuries. Lewis also says that it's not known if the bobcat is rabid, but both children were treated as though it was a possibility. Regarding the boy being attacked, we heard about it while we were in the scene with the female victim, Gibbs said. That's my Ohio accent, by the way. Two dogs were also attacked the night prior in this... What is an Ohio accent? Sorry, I just realized America is so like... Your accents are all over... Like in Australia... There's a pretty general accent throughout the whole place. Some places go a little bit broader. Uh, there's like a bit of a posh accent in some places. But but Americans and British people, their accent is like so regionalized. And like you've got your like, you got your Southern American talking accent. And you got your like, your New York, hey, I'm walking here. And you got your Cali girl kind of thing. What's Ohio? Ohio is the square one in the middle of the country, isn't it? That's just like, is that just the national average of states? So it would just be the normal accent? Well, yeah, there was a bobcat and it bit my dog. I don't know. Is that how? I don't know. If you're from Ohio, send me a voice message so I know if I should make fun of you or not. Anyway, uh, two dogs were also attacked the night prior in the same area. At this time, the conditions of the dogs are unknown. We suspect it's the same animal that attacked them all, Gibbs said, noting both, <laughs> both descriptions given by the parents of the children attacked matched definitely a strange set of circumstances. Uh, the bobcat remains at large as of Monday, Gibbs said, and no additional attacks or sightings had taken place in the location where the attacks took place. If you live in that area, we ask you to be mindful of your surroundings and to please keep an eye on your children when they are outside, the agency wrote in a Facebook post. The Department of Natural Resources and the Department of Public Health, the Oglethorpe County Sheriff's Office and Oglethorpe County EMS have all been notified of the attack, the agency wrote. And then the article has a good little section that says, what to do if you see a bobcat? According to AZ Animals, uh, A to Z Animals? Bobcats are native to North America and can also be found as far south as southern Mexico and as far north as uh, southern Canada, which is a weird sentence because... Sorry, Americans, if you don't know this, uh, Southern Mexico and Southern Canada are, are, are in North America. So it's kind of, you don't need to say that. They generally weigh about twice as much as a, a large house cat with males averaging 18 to 35 pounds and females averaging 30 pounds. They do not typically attack humans, but can be dangerous when they are startled or feel threatened. Here's what experts say to do if you see a bobcat. Do not run. Do not approach it. Do, no, do not turn your back on it. Instead, slowly back away from the bobcat. Throw water at the bobcat. In brackets, cats do not like water. <laughs> Make as much noise as possible or bang anything you have on you together. What? I have to have sex with my... Oh, it says bang like smack together. I thought it was telling me to have sex with my backpack. Anyone who sees a bobcat in a residential or developed area should... Call animal control? There's no typo there. Okay, well, good one, Caitlin McLean, you fuck. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for that story. I hope everyone feels better and the bobcat gets away. The perfect crime. Children and dogs. <laughs> Your honor. <laughs> the defendant said, and I quote, the perfect crime. Children and dogs. How else do you explain this? weird child dog arson attack <laughs> anyway what the fuck i'm so tired uh the final story today from nbn news again in australia worker bitten by crocodile at townsville billabong sanctuary in north queensland 
I was just in northern Queensland. It was in Cairns. I've got to tell you, I wasn't a fan of that weather. A wildlife sanctuary worker has been bitten by a crocodile during a feeding demonstration in North Queensland. The 25-year-old ranger was conducting a feeding show at about 3.30pm yesterday when he was bitten on his right hand. The two-metre crocodile, called Junior, jumped and caught the end of the employee's middle finger, according to the sanctuary's owner, Bob Fleming. Bob Fleming. Uh, there's a quote here, so I'll do my best Australian accent. My best Northern Queensland accent. The ranger was not inside the closure, but in the airlock adjacent to the enclosure where feeding takes place, he said in a social media post. Fleming stressed it was a minor accident and not a crocodile attack. Jumping to be fed is the normal routine for feeding this crocodile, and the incident was purely consequences of bad timing, he said. There will be a thorough investigation in the incident. We all wish the ranger a complete and speedy recovery. Fleming said there would be no ramifications for Junior. Uh, yeah, Junior's the crocodile, so, like, probably don't blame... <laughs> don't blame the crocodile. What, the ramifications? He's fucking grounded. He's not going out anymore. <laughs> no TV after bedtime for Junior, because he bit Casey's fucking finger. <laughs> Queensland Ambulance Senior Operations Supervisor David Cole said sanctuary staff rendered first aid at the scene. The ranger, aged in his mid-twenties, was transported to Townsville University Hospital in a stable condition. In addition to first aid, cleaning and dressing the wound, he was provided with some analgesia. I don't know what that is. Oh, it must be a pain thing. As he described himself to be in a significant amount of pain, Cole said. Hey, mate. Hey, Casey. How much pain are you in? Oh, I don't know, Cole. Probably about a crocodile bite's worth of pain. That analgesia was effective. Why is it called analgesia? I've never heard of that. That analgesia was effective, and the rest of the treatment revolved around psychological reassurances and just reassuring him that he was going to have a great story to tell his friends in the years to come. He's a very lucky man. I love fucking, I love Australians. I love us. I love my country. We're fucking great. We have some issues, but fuck yeah, we, we rule. Uh, okay, yeah, great. Great story. Great three stories. Really, really like that. Uh, guys, that's going to do it for today. Uh, no beastly biography today because I can't be fucked. Okay, guys, have a fantastic uh, rest of your week. I'll see you in a week. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Oh, God, guys. This is momentous. Did you know? that next week is our 70th episode. And as such, we are going to be tackling a story that's been long requested, uh, one that I've been kind of hesitant to do because it's so well known. Uh, we're going to be talking about the death of Steve Owen, a national Australian legend. Uh, that, that is, that's all great, but that's secondary to the big news, which is if next week is episode 70, then this week is episode 69. <laughs> So when a girl eats your butt, uh, no, episode 69, I made it through the whole episode without saying a thing. Are you proud of me? It was purely to do with ignorance and not to do with like any self-restraint, but uh, yeah, oh, 69, yeah. Hey, you only turned 69 once, so I'm going to enjoy it for the next four, 15 seconds. Ooh, 69. Uh, vagina and penis and mouths. Ooh, 69. Uh, <laughs> fucking hell. I'm so immature. <laughs> 
I hope my mum doesn't listen to this. Mum, turn down the podcast. Turn it. Turn the volume down. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for our episode uh, this week. A few little housekeepy things, guys. I uh, I would like you to. What the fuck was that noise? Um, what are we doing? What are we doing? You got to go to the Instagram at Man Eaters Podcast. You got to go to it, and you got to. Uh, uh, you got to. What are you going to do? You got to follow us. Subscribe. Leave us a review. We've got 125 reviews on Spotify right now, which is pretty good, but we're sitting at a 4.3 average. I don't know what you fucking people want from me. How do I bump that up? What happened to my 0.3 of a star? Who has it? Huh? Who else did you give it to? My understanding is that like you only get a certain amount of stars per person. So you've given some of the podcast 0.7 of one of my stars, you fucking sluts. Go get it. Go get it for me. Did you give it to Standard Docking Procedure, which is a podcast apparently that is like Maneaters? Listeners of Maneaters listen to this podcast with Park Rangers, a National Parks podcast. Did you give it to them? Did you give it to Inheritance, Colin Ash Falls? What are these podcasts? Jesus. Am I more popular than any of these? Let's read um, Standard Docking Procedure, 28 reviews. This is the only way I can tell. Um, uh, 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 21 reviews for podcasts with park rangers. Um, Better Utopia. That sounds good. 43 reviews. Yeah, guys, I'm smashing these guys. Who, who? I'm the king. I'm the king of small podcasts. The Murder Chronicles. 28 reviews. You suck. Uh, what? <laughs> James got a really big head all of a sudden, didn't he? This is Science with Jess Phoenix. Uh, 13 reviews. That's nothing. Although that sounds like a really good podcast. I'm going to go listen to that. Okay, that'll do. Uh, yeah, go, go. Give me a review. Please, please give me a review. Uh, and yeah, listen to all the other episodes. Uh, and yeah, do do all the social media bullshit. And oh, Patreon. Oh, uh, I would like some money, please. So you, there's Patreon. Patreon.com slash man it is. Uh, go there and give me give me some money <laughs> and that's it have a fantastic week everybody i hope you have a great time what are you up to what have you got going on i'm currently in the uh production of billy elliot uh and it's going well and i'm in a very small role a cameo if you will um but if you're in the area sydney newcastle come and watch it it's quite fantastic got four shows this weekend and i'm already feeling like absolute dog shit and i can't believe i'm gonna do it so <sighs> all right <laughs> that's it time for a nap Have a great week, everybody. Stay safe because as we've all learned, it's a jungle out there.